Uh, so we're in this series, First Thessalonians. I introduced this series to you a number of weeks ago, and Paul is writing to a local church there in, in Thessalonica, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians. He writes two letters. And so the title of this message is A Place of Encouragement. So Paul is trying to help this church understand what a church is and that we get to listen in on that conversation and then take some of these principles and apply them to our life and apply them to our situation. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7 is where we're going to start out, start out this morning. So if you have your Bible electronic devices, you can click to turn to there. And you can follow along with me if you would like. If not, the words are going to come up on the screen uh, as I read them and as I walk through them. And so, uh, so let me tell you a story about a couple of weeks ago that happened to me. It was, it was on the snow day. It was on the day when, when there was heavy snow and District 60, District 70 was closed. Our offices were technically closed because we had some employees that couldn't get in and some other things. And so, so as a result of that, it was just a really busy day for me. I had multiple Zoom meetings and in-person meetings and some Zoom meetings and emails to do and, and all of those things. And so in between meetings, I am quickly responding to emails and trying to, you know what, get my email box down to a manageable level. And I get one of those emails from Office 365. And it just simply stated that you're going to lose your password, you're going to lose access to your email today if you don't confirm your password. And, um, and so, you know what, I'm an idiot. And so... Uh, <laughs> I was busy, I was stressed, and I'm not making excuses, but I just did it. And so I typed in my password and said, because there's no way I can lose access to my email. This is ridiculous. I got enough to do today. And so can't deal with this. Typed in my password. Uh, they said, good to go. And so I, I went back to my different meetings, and I'm in a Zoom meeting with Pastor David and, and Justin and TA. We're doing worship planning, and we're sitting in this Zoom meeting. And as I'm in this Zoom meeting, our, our financial person, uh, Veronica, texted me and said, hey, Pastor Charlie, I think someone's hacked your email. I think someone's, I, someone's emailing me. And I'm like, no way. And she goes, yeah. She said, it just doesn't sound like you. And they're asking me to move money to, you know, put money in some account. And, and like, I, I literally freaked. I mean, have you ever had that happen to you? I literally freaked. You know, that nervous sweat that just comes up? And I handled it in a very mature way. I looked at Pastor David and Justin on, on, on Zoom and says, I got to go. And I just hung up on them. <laughs> And they didn't know if I had a medical emergency. They didn't know if I had a medical emergency. They didn't know if there was a crisis in the building or what. I just said, I, I just, I just got to go. And so when you, when, you, when you look at these things, right, when you look at these things as far as hackers, is the hacker's goal is to send you a, a fake email, impersonate somebody, not for your good, but for their good, to use you or to hurt you or to gain control over you in some way. This brings us to this topic that Paul is talking about today and that we're going towards in 1 Thessalonians. That Jesus talked about this issue that is the second coming becomes, gets closer and closer in others. His coming again, the rapture, as that gets closer and closer, guess what? There's going to be some Christian hackers, well, non-Christian hackers, that are going to present themselves as a fake Christianity or fake church. And he talks about, the fact is, Matthew chapter 24, we'll get there in just a second, to 1 Thessalonians 1. But here's what he said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. This, this, is like Je this is like Jesus talking. And Jesus is talking that as the second coming gets closer and closer, we're going to see this fake stuff. We're going to see fake Christianity. 
not for our benefit, but for someone to gain control over us. And Jesus would say what Paul is saying, and and we're going to need each other more, not less, during that period. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew 24, verse 9. He says, then they will hand you over to be persecuted, and they will kill you. You'll be hated by all nations because of my name. Then many will fall away, betray one another, hate one another. And many false prophets, fake Christianity, fake church, will rise up and deceive many. Because of lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. The good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed in all the world as a testimony to all the nations And then the end will come. Now listen, Revelation chapter 17. Revelation chapter 17 tells us that in the the tribulation period, the church, the true church will be raptured out. But in the tribulation period, what Revelation chapter 17 tells us is the beast will come onto the scene. And the beast will present a fake church, a fake Christianity. And the beast will marry politics and religion together and develop this this powerful this powerful force that will, de- that will deceive many. And Jesus would talk in Matthew 24 and other places that as the second coming comes closer and closer, we will be able to begin to get a glimpse of the fake church in Revelation chapter 17. And that we will see, we'll see apostasy. We'll begin to see and get a glimpse. We'll begin to see apostasy. We'll, we'll people will, will stray away, in other words, from, from the truth. Christians will no longer believe the truth. They'll no longer believe the Bible is the word of God, but it's from man. And it's been changed. And it's been diluted. They'll no longer preach and teach the truth. They'll no longer stand on, on the gospel. They'll no longer be true expository, expositional preaching verse by verse through the text. There'll be more and more pop psychology. It'll just be Dr. Phil with a few verses thrown in. Just to make everybody feel good. You'll begin to watch denominations. You'll begin to watch denominations that once stood on the word of God. Stood on Judeo-Christian values for thousands of years. All of a sudden begin to drift and question the word of God. Question if you can really trust his word. And begin condoning and accepting all kinds of things. Pastors, pastors will no longer be rooted in prayer in the word of God. There's a statistic that just came out that just really broke my heart. He surveyed pastors. It's an anonymous survey. And they surveyed pastors. One of the questions that was, how, how many minutes a day, how, how, how much time do you pray every day? You know the average pastor right now in America prays less than four minutes a day. No wonder we're in trouble. No wonder we're in trouble. And so the, the Bible talks about, Jesus talks about, that people will begin falling away and the love of many will grow cold. That false teaching and false preaching will be on the rise. And so there's a reason that Paul is like writing this in to this church in Thessalonica. See what happened to Paul. If Paul goes to Thessalonica to plant this church and he begins preaching the gospel. And, and, and he offended a lot of people. Because they found their joy, they found their security in what? The, oh, the Roman Empire. And they begin saying that Caesar above all. In other words, that Caesar will give us peace, and Caesar will give us prosperity, and Caesar will give us protection, and Caesar will take care of us. And then Paul comes in, and Paul says, no, it's the gospel above all. It is Jesus above all. 
It is not Caesar plus Jesus, Caesar and Jesus, Caesar above Jesus. Caesar doesn't have anything to do with it. It is the gospel. It is just the gospel above all. And so he starts preaching this gospel that salvation is only found in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one that says, I'm the way and the truth and life. And that no man, no man will come to the Father except through me. And that message became very, very offensive. And as a result of that, they were going to persecute. They were going to kill Paul. And Paul wanted the church to survive. So what Paul does, because he loved the church, he loved the Christians so much, he left. And he left the church in the hands of some really inexperienced believers. And Paul wondered if the church would survive. Paul just wondered. And later on, he has some anxiety. He has some concerns about that. He sends Timothy to check on the church. Timothy comes back, gives this great report. And then Paul writes 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians back to this church, encouraging them and helping them to understand, remind them, what is church? What is church? What is, what is the gospel? And so I've, I very seldom do this. Or fact is, I don't think I've ever done this. But last week, that was just a foundational message, that a place of confidence and, and for you and I to understand the gospel and know that you know God, God loves you, God approves of you. If you miss that message, I would just encourage you uh, to go to our website, go to YouTube or wherever that message is posted and just go back and just hear that for yourself. This morning in the times that I have, and I, I'm going to talk really fast, we've got a lot of ground to cover because I, I have a deep burden that First Thessalonians, the entire book, has a lot to say to us in the season in which we live. Because the gospel is becoming more and more offensive. Standing on biblical truth is becoming more and more offensive. And so I want to give you three things that if you want to be a person of encouragement, or the church should be a place of encouragement, the first thing is this, compassionate. We, we have to be compassionate. And we have to be people of compassion. You look at Paul and you realize, I mean, if you study the life of Paul, Paul, I mean, Paul was like this guy. He was in your face. I mean, he was full on. I mean, he had a little bit of an offensive personality. He had a type A personality. He had a driven personality. But as Christ was formed in him, spiritual formation, maturity was some of the things that he walked through. Paul developed and became this person that was a compassionate person where Paul actually cared about people, and he cared about their feelings. He cared about what they were going through. He figured out a way to encourage them. He cared about the gospel. And so 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, here's what it says. And he says, and as a result, you became an example. Okay, so that word example, that's huge. That's important. We're going to come back to that. He said, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place that your faith in God has gone out. Therefore, we do not need to say a thing. In other words, your testimony speaks for itself. Now listen, Paul makes this comment, and he says, he says, you became an example. We all need examples, right? We all need in life examples to follow in life. We get that. We understand that. The Greek word for example is tupos. Tupos in the Greek simply means a type, a form, an example, a pattern to follow. So whenever I think of this word tupas, I always remember back to my mom and growing up. My mom was an amazing seamstress. I mean, my mom, she could like sew anything. I mean, she was just an amazing seamstress. And so she would make, back in the day, people actually made their clothes. And so my mom would like make her dresses and she would make my sister dresses as well. And whenever my mom made a dress and wore a dress, 
people would stop her and say, where did you get that? I mean, how can I buy one? I mean, she was amazing. And so I remember going to the fabric store with her. And so, and so you'd go to the fabric store and you'd go to a rack and they had these packets of, of Tupas uh, patterns and, and it'd have a picture of a dress and the type of dress, you'd pick out the, the dress that you wanted. Then you'd go pick out your material, material, you'd get your thread, you'd get your supplies, you would go home. And I remember as a kid watching my mom uh, stretch out that material on, on a, a board and then, then anchor it and then take Tupas, take a pattern and lay over that. And then she would cut out, she would cut out the fabric, she would sew the fabric together, she would follow the instructions, and then at some point she had a dress. At some point she had the thing that she wanted to imitate. That's what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about, guess what? Every one of us needs a tupas. Every one of us needs an example. One of the reasons that we need each other, we need an example to follow. We need to be around other people that have taken Scripture and applied it to their career and to their jobs and to their families and to their relationships. I mean, the writer of Hebrews writes this in, in, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and, and 5. He says, and let us consider one another. In other words, let us be compassionate to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other all the more as you see the day approaching. Now listen, just a little bit of a New Testament lesson. That word, uh, that are two words, you see the day, the day. Some translations, the day is capitalized. Some translations, it's not. But in the New Testament, whenever you see the word the day, what is that referring to? It is referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. As you see the day approaching, as the day, the coming of Christ gets closer and closer we need two pots. We need examples. We need each other more and not less. We need each other's example. I don't know why it is. But sometimes when we go through crisis and difficulty, we just pull away. And sometimes we pull away from the very people that can help us, right? I'm in this Zoom call with, uh, with Justin and with Pastor David and and I'm having an email meltdown, and fortunately, Veronica is way smarter than I am. She already knew it was fake. Uh, <laughs> and so, uh, and so I, I take and, and um, tried to figure out how to fix this on my own and couldn't do it. And so I texted Pastor David and Justin, hey, jump back on Zoom. And so they get back on Zoom, and I go, are you okay? And I go, yeah, and I told them the story. And I shared my screen with them, and they walked me through the process of how to correct the problem. I needed community. I needed people that I could follow their example. Can I just tell you this? And listen, listen, let me tell you this. I'm a, this is with all love. And Paul made a statement later on in 1 Thessalonians. We'll actually read it that, that the reason he did anything was, was for your benefit, not for his. And I'm telling you, this is for your benefit. And you, you guys know I, I love you. I deeply love this church after 27 years here, and we've walked through a lot of stuff together. Man, we've walked through celebration. We've walked through great times. We've walked through some hard times together. We've done weddings. We've done funerals together. We've done uh, baptisms and baby dedications. And all, I, I love you. But there's some 
in this season of COVID have fallen out of the habit of gathering together. About seven to 800 people watch us every weekend online. And for those of you that are online, I, I just want you to know we love you. We need you. We, and you know what? You need us. I have testimony after testimony after testimony of people that, that haven't been here in a while, and they come back and they say, oh, my word, you cannot get this stuff at home. It is not the same watching online. You know why it's not the same? Two paws. We need examples. We need to worship alongside of people that we know, that we know have, have stayed faithful to him in difficult times and continue to praise him and continue to worship him. And listen, let me tell you something. If you're staying at home because you're ill, because you're sick, because you have some underlying health issues and it's a risk of coming back, by all means, stay at home. But if you have fallen out of the habit of gathering together, I just want to tell you, you need us, and we need you. And Paul is talking about this issue of, of just gathering together. I mean, like, like every other area of life understands the power of being in the room together, right? I mean, you know, today's Super Bowl weekend, and, and um, so I don't know who you're cheering for, and I, I don't know if it even matters. And so uh, <laughs> the Cowboys or the Broncos aren't in, but... And so football knows, right, home field advantage? Football understands home field advantage, that the team that is playing at home has an advantage. Why? Because of familiar circumstances, because they're fans. Guess what? Tupas. The fans are in the stands, and they're cheering, and they're encouraging them, and they're supporting them. That's why the Super Bowl is always played on a neutral field to where nobody has the advantage of home field advantage, except for the last couple of years, right? I mean, last year... Last year, the Super Bowl was planned in Tampa Bay. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers won because they had home field advantage and Tom Brady. And so, uh, <laughs> right? And so they won. Then a crazy thing this year, it's being played in L.A. Guess what? The Rams. The Rams have home field advantage. And so we'll see how that story plays out in, in a little bit. Well, the NFL is concerned about this because the, the, the Super Bowl is supposed to play at a neutral field. And so they're, they're, they're discussing and making decisions. Do we have alternate sites? And if there is a team that's home team, do we move it somewhere else or whatever? And so I had a friend that goes to our church, and he sent me a meme that said, hey, listen, the NFL is really concerned about home field advantage in the Super Bowl, that every time it's you know, planned in a city, it's like that home team is, is playing in it. And it's happened over the last couple of years. And so I know a way that we can change that. Just, just plan for the Super Bowl next year in Cowboy Stadium, and there's no way the Cowboys will be in it. <laughs> He's now looking for another church. And so, uh, <laughs> so, so sports knows that, right? I mean, support groups. That's why we do soul care. That's why we do soul care. Two pots. We put people in the room that have walked through the loss of a loved one, some hurt, some pain, that can understand each other. Why? Because we all need an example to follow. I mean, right, if you're a person that exercises, I, I can only read about that, but <laughs> it helps to have an accountability partner, right? Someone that can spot you, someone that can ask you some questions, someone that can show up at the gym with you because of the power. See, this is what Paul's talking about. This is what Paul is talking about. 
In 2 Corinthians 1.4, it says, He comforts us in all our afflictions so we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So he's talking about this issue that we got to come to this place, as become tupas, example. As God has comforted us, guess what? We comfort others with the same comfort that we receive from him. So the first thing is this, is compassionate, but the second thing is this, is considerate. Not only are we compassionate, but we're considerate of uh, of others. We consider how someone else feels. We consider how someone else needs. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 9, the scripture says, for they themselves report what kind of reception we had from you. How you turn to God from idols to serve the living, true God. A considerate person is a perspective person. I mean, when you look at this, he's talking about testimony, that you turn from your idols and, oh, and guess what? You now serve the, the living God, Jesus. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is alive. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. It's the, it's the gospel. And so Paul was aware of this new church. He understood the challenges of this new church. Paul never took a salary from this. When he went and planted this church, he didn't take a salary because he knew they couldn't afford to pay, them, pay him. And so as a result of that, he moonlighted. He had a second job. He was a tent maker. Now you know where his example Tupac came from. He needed an example, a pattern to put a tent together, and he understood how this fit into the Christian life. He was also considerate of how they felt and the things that they were going through when by preaching the gospel and saying Jesus is over Caesar and all of those other things, and they begin to attack him, the community that Paul left and went somewhere else so he wasn't a distraction of what God wanted to do there. And so a good encourager in life is just somebody that is considerate about how someone thinks or someone feels. And some, I think, you know, I think some get this as, a, as just a spiritual gift. I think for most of us, it's, it has to be a discipline. It was a discipline with Paul. This was not his spiritual gift. And it's something that we have to work through. It's something that we, it's, it's, for us, it's just, it's a discipline. And, and one of the things that I've learned is that when someone shared experience, when someone goes through an experience that I've gone through, it's easier for me to be considerate of them and know how they think or feel. For instance, if you ever have a, ch- a child that is diagnosed with a terminal illness, it becomes very um, it becomes very easy for me to understand your emotion, to understand how you think and how you feel. When I talk to pastors across the nation that are struggling leading a church through a pandemic and, and it just seems like you just can't make anybody happy, that no matter what, everybody's upset. I mean, it's just... And when I talk to them... It's easy for me to understand how they think and, and feel. It may be for you. Maybe if you lost a loved one and, and you hear of someone that's lost a loved one, it's easy for you. It's natural for you. Or maybe when you hear it's a loss of a job, or maybe when you hear that someone went through a divorce, or maybe you hear when someone uh, went through a difficulty, betrayal of a friend or whatever, or they've been diagnosed with something. This is what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about willing to be examples. And Ephesians, Paul writes, praying at all times in the Spirit 
with every prayer and request, stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. And, and so sometimes the way that we become considered is just prayer. Have you ever, and, and this just happened to me a couple of weeks ago, but have you ever been in prayer and God kept bringing some name or face to your memory? And you, you haven't talked to them in weeks. You, you, you haven't talked to them. You may not have even thought of them in weeks. And all of a sudden, you cannot get that person out of your mind. You cannot get their face out of your mind. And you begin praying for them. You know, that's the Holy Spirit. And then, then you call them and say, hey, what is up? And they tell you about something they're going through. See, sometimes the Spirit intercedes for us and, and communicates that to us. And so, so the third and the last thing is this, is you just have to be consistent. It's being compassionate, it's being considerate, but it's also, it's also important that if, if, you're, if we're going to be people of encouragement, it, it has to be consistent. We can't be encouraging one day and discouraging the other day, right? I mean, because they'll never trust us. They, they, who are we going to get today? Are we going to get the, the man or the woman that's going to encourage us and speak life into us and understand how we think and feel? Or guess what? Are we going to get the discouraging version of you to where all of a sudden you're just going to pick out everything that's wrong with us? And so it's something, it's just something that has to, it just has to be consistent. So here's what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 2.10. He says, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how devotely, righteously, and blamelessly we conduct ourselves with you believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom. And glory. This is why we constantly, this is why we consistently thank God. Because when you received the word of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as fake Christianity, not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God, which also works effectively in you who believe. It's the word that works in you. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators. Now then he's upped it. He says, you were once examples. Now you've taken it to a whole nother level. Imitators of God's churches in Christ Jesus and in Judea. Since you have also suffered the same things from people from our, of our own country, just as they did from Jesus. And so Paul begins talking about discipleship. He begins talking about this progression for, for my mom. I mean, she got to the place to where she didn't need an example as much as she once did in sewing because she became a really good seamstress. I mean, she could put something together just off of a picture. And so what Paul's saying is in, in discipleship, at first we're more dependent on examples and then all of a sudden we come to the place Christ being formed in us. We become discipled. We become mature in the faith. And guess what? Now we can become an example. Now we, as we imitate Christ, people can, can imitate us. Not that we're perfect. But as we take values and place them in our life, because, I mean, when you look at this, right, it's really discouraging when you see a Christian fall. It's really discouraging when you see a person of faith and, and they just fall. But, I, but the opposite is true. It is really encouraging when you see a Christian go through deep opposition, deep hurt, deep pain, deep loss, and they continue to worship, and they continue to follow. And they continue to trust. That's why Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2.11, he says, As you know, like a father with his own children, <coughs> it was a picture that life is not your own. It was a picture of just like a good father will parent his children 
and his life is no longer his own. Listen, I had this false belief, and this will not be encouraging to you that are raising young families, I promise you. But I thought early in my life, early in parenting, that once I got my girls out of the house, I no longer would have to parent them. (laughs) And all the older parents said what? Amen. You knew it, right? You figured it out too, right? And sometimes it takes more parenting because it's harder. You kind of lose control. You can't put them in time out. And they don't listen to you like they once did. They think they know better. And Paul is talking about this issue that life is no longer your own. And he, he talks about this issue about that sometimes being imitators and sometimes being examples, life can get weary. And he said, let us not get tired of doing good, for we will reap at the proper time if we don't give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us work for the good of all, especially for those who belong to the household of, of faith. Paul was compassionate, he was considerate, he was consistent. But isn't it true, sometimes we can feel like giving up. We can feel like, is it doing any good? Are they even listening? Are they even responding? And Paul says in the latter days, there are some that are going to lose heart. There are some that are going to drift away. But he went back to encourage them, but says, hey, guess what? If you don't give up, you'll reap a harvest. If you don't give up, there is, there is a blessing awaiting you. See, it's all, it is okay, it's okay, okay to struggle, but it's never okay to give up. Just never okay to give up. We need each other, just like I needed Pastor David and, Pas- and, 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 and Justin to, to help me through this whole internet inbox hacking deal. We need each other. And so Paul gives, Paul gives three things. If you're going to become an encouragement, encourager, if you're going to be a place of encouraging, the first thing is, is you have to be specific. You have to be specific. And so there's a, there's a word that is, that is just overused, I think, in Christian circles. And that's like, it's like this issue of transparency. That where you just need to be transparent. Well, here's what I've learned. Uh, people would just be transparent in areas that they want, want to be transparent in. They may hide some stuff. And so, so transparency is not the word. You know what the word is, the biblical word? Just be authentic. One of the ways that we encourage each other, just be real. Just be who you are. Just be, be authentic about your life. And, and so there was a, there's a mentor of mine. He's now deceased. But there's a mentor of mine that, that a preacher had a really large ministry. And, and um, I mean, he's just bigger than life to me. Him and his wife, on two different occasions, came to Pueblo. They spent a week here. He preached here a couple of times, and, and uh, they just mentored and poured into Karen and I. And so one day, he was here. He's in his 80s. He's 87, 80, 83 at this point. And so uh, he had rented a Dodge, a Chrysler, you know, 300. And so he decided he wanted to see how fast it would go. And so I, I said, I'll go with you. And so we went out to Beulah Highway to Beulah, and I mean, it's just, you know, like this. And, and we're coming back, and so I looked over at him, and I says, hey, I said, I, I, man, I just need to let you know, I, I just feel so inadequate. Every time I preach, I feel like I miss the mark. I mean, I can go through the words I mispronounced or things I should have said or could have said better, and I never walk off the platform and go, nailed it. 
I feel so inadequate. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I'll never forget this. He looked at me and said, me too. Me too. I'm like, what? He's, he's preached for Billy Graham before. I'm like, what? He goes, Charlie, that haunted my whole ministry. He said, I started having reoccurring dreams that the night before I'd preach, whether it was in our church or a really large event, that when I have these vivid dreams, that when it was my turn to preach, I'd look down and I'm just in my boxers. <laughs> or I couldn't find my Bible. Or I couldn't find my notes. He said, what sent me to a counselor's office was when I got up to preach and everybody looked at me in disgust and they just started walking out the doors. And I looked over where my wife normally sits and she looked at me in disgust and she walked out. And I'm in this room all by myself. And he said, Charlie, it wasn't until I was 65 years of age. I'm walking through the book of Colossians. And in Colossians, Paul writes that our sufficiency is in Christ, not in ourselves. And I finally realized I'm supposed to feel that way. It's not up to me. My sufficiency isn't found in my ability and my talents. My sufficiency is found in Christ. It changed my life. Not being tra transparent, being authentic. The other thing about this is just, just be accepting. Here's the First Thessalonians 2. 13, it said, this is why we constantly thank God. Because, because when you received the word of, of, of God that you heard from us, you welcomed it not as a human message, but as it truly is, the word of God. Which is also at work effectively in you who believe. So it's the word. It's the word that is at work in us. It is the, it, it is the word that is at work in us. It's the Holy Spirit. It's not of man. It's of God. And the gospel is understanding that. The gospel is understanding. Listen, the gospel is understanding that it is the gospel. It is Jesus above all. It is just Jesus above all. Fully God and fully man that came to this world. Lived a perfect life without sin. Went to the cross on our behalf. Took my sin and your sin. Owned him. Was beaten. Was betrayed was crucified, was buried, and on the third day he rose again. And because of that, because of that, we have forgiveness of sins. This is why he writes, and we'll close with this verse, but this is why he writes in 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, verse 5, he says, And you yourselves became imitators of us, and of the Lord when, this is crazy, in spite of severe persecution, you welcome the message with joy, from the Holy Spirit. Now listen, as Americans, I'm just telling you, you're speaking as Americans. We do not put severe persecution or affliction and joy together, right? We don't put those two things together. I mean, it's, the Christian life is like railroad tracks. I've talked about this. To where we can have good stuff and bad stuff happening at the same time. And it's navigating between the two. So as Americans, just as Americans, we would never put joy in opposition, persecution, affliction, difficulty together. Fact is, the American dream, right? American culture is joy 
is free from affliction, is free from persecution, is free from difficulty. The only way, what the American dream is, the only way that you and I have joy is that we have no pain, we have no difficulty, we have no hurt in our life. But to these believers that Paul is writing into there in Thessalonica, these believers did not have much joy in relation to their circumstances, in relation to Caesar, in relation to the Roman Empire. And Paul is talking about this joy that the world cannot give. And Paul is talking about this joy that is not offered through politicians and government and movies and athletes and movie stars and models and all of those other things. Paul is talking about this joy that is just simply found in the gospel that is the work of the Holy Spirit, Christ in you. This joy that comes from peace with God. Because of the gospel, because our sins have been forgiven, this joy that knows that, guess what, one day, one day God's going to make everything right. Everything is not right now, but guess what, there is coming a day when God is going to make everything right. There is a joy that knows that God's kingdom, guess what, in case you do not know this, God's kingdom will never end. God's kingdom has no end. There is this joy in knowing that there is a joy that, though, guess what, that cannot be taken away from us. There's a joy that is not dependent upon the ups and downs of an economy. There is a joy that is not dependent upon our circumstances. There is a joy that is not dependent upon whether we keep a job or whether we lose a job. There's a joy that is not dependent upon anything of this world. There is a joy that we will see through trials and persecution and tribulation and even through death, and that is where the rubber meets the road for the Christian. And this is why Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because there is a heavenly joy and there is a heavenly hope. A hope that one day that God himself will wipe every tear from your eyes and take away every hurt and take away every pain. Because his kingdom has no end. And that's why he ends this letter, and I cannot wait to get there, but there's a lot we've got to learn before we get there. When he ends this letter, he talks about the second coming of Jesus Christ in heaven. There is a joy that is not dependent on this world. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?